Hello and welcome to another edition of One Christian Families podcast. My name is William Lewis. I'll be your uh, speaker for the day. Uh, definitely recommend uh, check out our website onechristianfamily.org if you'd like to check out some of the resources that we have available. Uh, today I want to speak with you about a topic that we've all heard about, but I think that sometimes we struggle to fully grasp it. Now, we've all heard about the grace of God. If you've spent any amount of time in church or around Christians, you've probably heard someone talk about how it's through God's grace that we are saved. Throughout the Bible, we have reference to God's grace saving us. Now, I'm not going to turn to go over all of them for the sake of time, but maybe the most recognizable is Romans 3, 23 and 24, which in the ESV reads, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now this verse tells us very clearly that because of God's grace, we've been set free from the power of sin through Christ. But as clear as this verse makes it, I know that sometimes I, and I'm sure others, Still have that nagging thought in the back of my mind that it can't be that easy. It can't possibly be as simple as saying a prayer and accepting Christ as my Savior. There must be more that I need to do. The truth of the power of the cross and the grace that God has bestowed on us, however, is that it's an all-consuming thing. It's not only granted us forgiveness for our sins, it's actually wiped them clean. The Bible teaches us that when he died on that cross, because of his blood, we have been washed clean. Those sins are gone. But I think that God knew that we might struggle with this concept. And so in his wisdom, he gave us a concrete example of exactly how all-consuming his grace is. Now, in a moment, I'm going to have you join me in Luke to review the scripture. However, uh, before I do so, I want us to fully grasp the impact of Christ's actions. So, in order to do that, I want us to kind of fully understand what was happening in the lead-up to the scripture that we're going to read. So I want you to do me a favor, close your eyes for a moment, and just let me paint a picture for you of what was happening. Now this scripture takes place at the end of Christ's life. Sometimes I think that we sanitize the events surrounding Christ's death. And it's understandable why. It's an uncomfortable thing. Hearing about how our Savior died and what he went through. So we have our Easter celebrations and we you know, have the Good Friday. We talk about it lightly. We, we talk about how he died for us, but we kind of leave out at times what he went through. But I think it's important that we fully understand that in order to be able to really truly grasp the gift 
that is being given to us. So on this day, Christ has been arrested for crimes that he did not commit. He's been beaten and ridiculed as he was led to a kangaroo court. And at that court, he was further mocked by the very people he had come to save, who then demanded that he not only be convicted, but that he be subjected to the most shameful punishment one could undergo, death by crucifixion. And this, by the way, over having him released instead of a repeat criminal. He was then flogged with a Roman lash. Now, in order to fully understand the cruelty of this, it's important to know that a Roman lash is not a simple whip, which would be bad enough. No, it's a multi-tailed whip. And each one of the tails of the lash has bits of bone and metal or glass or rocks tied into it so that when they whip with it. When he was whipped, it would dig into his skin and tear out huge chunks of skin from his back. The tips would wrap around and hit him in the face and break out teeth and bust up his jaw. They beat him so badly that history tells us that he was unrecognizable as a man. And then, as if that were not enough, they shoved a crown of thorns on his head and continued to mock him, calling him the king of the Jews and the Messiah and demanding that if he really were, that he would save himself. He was then forced to carry the very crossbeam on which he would die over two football fields to a place where he would give his life. Upon arriving at the site, he would have been forced to lay on the ground on top of the crossbar and had seven-inch spikes driven through his wrist into the beam. Then, in agony, he would have been forced onto the seven-foot post that made up the rest of the cross, and his feet would be nailed to that cross with another spike. And to really fully understand the cruelty of what he was going through, what actually kills the victim of crucifixion is suffocation. See, the weight that the chest cavity that, that, that lays down on the chest cavity because of the way the arms are held makes it impossible to breathe. In order to take a breath, Christ would have had to painfully lift himself up by those spikes in his wrist so that he could gasp in a breath before his muscles failed and he would have to drop back down, slowly suffocating before his muscles could simply no longer support him at all, and he would die in agony as his lungs could no longer take him in the air. And it's at this moment, as he's hanging on that cross, that we come to Luke 23, starting in verse 39. And if you're reading along, it's going to be Luke 23, 39 through 42. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? 
and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now I want to pause here for a moment and ask a question and, and be honest with yourself. How would you respond in this moment if you were Christ? You've been beaten, whipped, ridiculed, and you're literally suffocating on a cross. And this man, who admits that he is a criminal and deserving of the punishment he's receiving, asks you to put in a good word in your kingdom, to remember him kindly in your kingdom. Now, if I'm honest, my response would not be good. I think in my best moments, my response would be along the lines of, really? This is when you ask? I've been with you for three years ministry. And now you ask? In my lesser moments, I'm sure it'd be something along the lines of, sure, do me a favor, say hi to Lucifer. Thank God, though, Christ was a very embodiment of God, and as such, God's love and grace. And so in this moment, he did something that is almost incomprehensible to me. Let's look at verse 43, where he responds, and he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man, who according to the original text, was not only a criminal, but a violent one, likely a murderer, asked him for to remember him kindly. But Christ actually went a step further. He didn't just say, sure, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll keep you in mind. He actually told him that he would see him there, that he would see him in paradise. That is the grace of God. The grace that tells a man who knows that he deserves the death on the cross and the punishment that awaits him after death who knows that the flames of hell are closed and has accepted that he is deserving of them. This grace opened a pathway to him to come home to the Father even in the last hours of his life as Christ gave his life for him. Think about that. It's almost impossible to understand that level of grace and forgiveness. I have good news and I have bad news for you on this. The bad news is that every single one of us is represented by those prisoners who hung on that cross next to Christ. Going back to the verse I read earlier, Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And I don't care how small or big you think your sins might be. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin are death. We are all justly condemned to an eternity outside of the presence of our Father. An eternity in hell. However, the good news is 
we get to choose which prisoner we want to be. See, we can choose to be like that first prisoner who mocked and ridiculed Christ. He turned away from him. And you might be saying, oh, well, you know, I, I don't mock Christ. I don't want to follow him yet. I don't want to give my life to him, but I, I don't mock him. But if you know what he went through for you, if you know the gift that he is offering and you swipe it away, aren't you mocking him? On the other hand, though, you can choose to be like the second prisoner, the second man on the cross, who in his acknowledgement of his sin turned to Christ and acknowledged him as his Savior. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you're listening to this message right now, and it instills fear in you, because either you don't know what would happen were you to die today, or you know that you wouldn't be saved, that you wouldn't be known by Christ, then I want to give you the opportunity to fix that. And I urge you to take this seriously. We're all guilty. We have a chance to claim redemption through Christ. To accept the gift of grace that is being offered by God before it's too late. Now, I know some of you are probably listening to this right now and you're going, yeah, that sounds great. But you don't know me. You don't know what I've done, who I've hurt, the sins I've committed. And you're right, I don't. I don't know the struggles that you've been through. I don't know the choices that you have made, but I can tell you that God does know and he doesn't care. I don't care if as you are listening to this, you are living in sin. If sitting next to you is the person you are committing adultery with. You have an opportunity to turn away from that sin, to repent, which means to turn away from the sin, to Come to Christ to declare him as your Lord and Savior and to accept the gift of redemption that is waiting for you. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and accept in your heart that he died for your sins and was raised from the dead. And in doing that, you enter into a relationship with Christ that enters you into the kingdom of heaven. And the Holy Spirit comes into you and begins to make the change within you. See, it doesn't matter what you're doing now. You don't need to get cleaned up before you come home. If 
you come to God, he will work within you to clean you. Now, it is important here, and I want to make clear, this is not a whimsical decision to make. I'm not here to convince you that you should become saved. Because if I can convince you to be saved, somebody else can convince you not to be. That's not real salvation. But if you're listening and the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart, don't pass on this opportunity. Accept it. So what I'm going to do now is I am going to pray. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to just wrap your heart around this prayer. To repeat it after me. Now it seems like a silly thing and it's not the words that matter. But by repeating that, that's an act. It's taking action on the faith. And that simple act of verbalizing it helps us to grow our faith. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you now as a sinner. But I thank you that you have given me a way home. I believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, came down and died on a cross for my sins. And that you raised him from the dead on the third day. I declare Jesus now as my Lord and my Savior, the director of my life. I ask that the Holy Spirit enter me now and begin to work within me to make me the new man that God wants me to be. I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. I repent of my sins and I turn to you. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, first of all, congratulations. You just started a journey that will absolutely transform your life. But you're not at the finish line. As my pastors are fond of saying, you've just hit the starting gate. There's a journey ahead of you, a growth in the faith, and a change within you that will be made. But in order to do this, every Christian needs two things. First of all, you need a Bible. Now, there are some amazing Bible apps out there. I have two of them on my phone and one on my computer. I use them regularly. Um, however, there's something about having a physical Bible in your hand that I think helps all believers, especially new believers. For one thing, the Bible not only is our instruction manual, if you will. It's also our gateway into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It gives us the opportunity to actually have a conversation 
with our Father because it tells us that it is the living Word. And it tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that the Word became flesh in Christ. So if you want to know Christ, you want to know your Savior, the Word is how you do it. And by having that actual Bible, one of the things I know that I like to do is I will pray and then I will just open the Bible and let the Spirit lead me to guide me toward whatever it may be that the Father wants me to see. So having that physical Bible is a good thing. And if you want one, we want to get one to you. There's no questions asked, no screens to action. All you have to do is go on to our website onechristianfamily.org, click on the Bible ministry and the request a Bible. And when you do that, there's a small form to fill out to give us your name and address, and we will send you that Bible, no questions asked. The second thing that you need is community. You need a local church. Now I get there are some great sermons online. Obviously, I believe in the medium of online sermons, or I wouldn't be doing this. And there are some great teachers out there. However, you cannot online get the community that you can get at your local church. And it's in that community that we are able to grow, that we're able to learn, that we can be uplifted in hard times, that we can find other believers who share our beliefs and, and who can help us as we help them. So that community is incredibly important. The Bible teaches us very strongly that when we are isolated, okay, we become easy prey. We live in a sin-filled world. We live in a fallen world. And when you're on your own, it's really easy to be tempted back to the things of the world. When you step into a community of believers, though, they can hold you accountable while you hold them accountable. They can teach you. They can give you an outlet to, to you know, do things that are godly as opposed to, you know, maybe falling back into the same habits that you had before. So I highly recommend finding a local church. We are currently working on a tool to help you to do that. In the meantime, if you would like help, definitely reach out to us. We will help you to find a church in your area that fits what you are looking for. We are not concerned with uh, specific doctrine, whatever you feel comfortable with on that. Uh, we will help you to find a church that fits that. For you. You can contact us either by going online to onechristianfamily.org, clicking on the contact us page, or by simply sending us an email at info at onechristianfamily.org. Before I end this, I want to pray for everybody that may be listening. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each and every person listening to the sound of my voice right now. Father, I pray that you would be with them in the following days and weeks, that the Holy Spirit would guide them into a deeper relationship with you, 
and that they would see blessings pour out upon them as they come to know you better. Father, I pray that the word today would be sealed over them so that anything that they got out of it could not be stolen. And that they would, that those words would find good soil to grow in to bring them closer to you. And for those that gave their life to you, that they would come into a deeper relationship over the coming days and weeks that would allow them a lifetime of knowing you. Pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you all very much for listening. Have a wonderful day.